Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. This is an interesting chapter because in this chapter, Paul speaks to us with the language of clothing. He tells us that there are certain things we need to put off, take off, and there are certain things we need to put on. So he speaks to us in the analogy of putting on and taking off clothes. Mark Twain once said, clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence in society, unquote. Paul would agree with that. He tells us that since we have been raised to a new place, since God has lifted us up to a new level and given us new clothes to fit that new level, we need to act differently than we used to. That's what he's going to say here in Colossians chapter 3. I want you to look with me. We'll read the first 17 verses of Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off, there it is, your old self with its practices and have put on, you hear it, the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, 
do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have raised us up to a new place if we have trusted you to be our Savior and our Lord. You've raised us up to a new level. And in that new level, you have given us a new set of clothing, a new wardrobe. And you tell us to put off the old, sinful, earthly clothes and put on the new, Christ-like, righteous, and loving clothes. We thank you for this new place to which you brought us, and we thank you for the new clothes that you've given us. But Lord, too often we walk into the closets of our spiritual lives and we long for those old clothes and we are tempted to put on those old clothes and sometimes we actually do put on those old clothes and we act as if we did before we ever came to know you as our Savior. And therefore, the world cannot tell a difference between Christians and non-Christians. God, I pray that you would help us to throw away the old clothes and keep on the new ones. In Jesus' name, amen. Chipper Jones, Braves legend, retired Uh, last year, was born in 1972. He's 41 years old, played for the Braves for 19 years. He was raised in uh, a small town called Pearson, Florida, that's not far from Orlando, down in central Florida. Uh, When he got up to high school, he started out his high school ninth grade year in uh, in the county high school system, the public school system where he was raised, Taylor County High School. He played football, baseball, and basketball, and um, could have gone on a full scholarship in either of those sports. In fact, Bobby Bowden at Florida State begged him to come to Florida State to play football, and he turned it down to play baseball. In his ninth grade year at Taylor County High School, Chipper's mother and dad, his dad, by the way, was a teacher and a coach at Taylor County High School. His dad noticed that because of the fact that Chipper's dad worked at the school and because Chipper was so good as an athlete, even as a a ninth grade freshman, he was receiving preferential treatment by some of the teachers at Taylor County High School. Now, most parents I know would love for their kids to receive preferential treatment. But the Joneses did not. They did not like their son, an only child, no less, receiving preferential treatment. And so Larry Sr., Larry Jones Sr. and his wife, decided to send Chipper to a boarding school one hour and 45 minutes north of where they lived. It was a boarding school called the Bowles School, a private school in Jacksonville, Florida. He would have to live there in a dorm the rest of his ninth grade year, his 10th, 11th, and 12th grade years. The Bowl School was known for strict academic discipline. In fact, no matter how good you were in sports, 
If you did not make the grade at the bowl school, it was in writing that you could not play on any of their teams. And so, Chipper Jones was enrolled in the bowl school, Jacksonville, Florida. And he had a tough time. Started out, he was flunking out. He was failing almost every course that he took. And he would call home every day. Now, this is a six foot five, 230 pound Chipper Jones. He may not look like it if you're in the stands looking down at him, but if you stand beside him, he towers over most people you and I know. He called home crying every single night his first year at the bowl school. He would call asking for his mother because she had the softest heart. And she would cry with him. And she would go to her husband, Larry Sr., and say, Larry, we've got to go get him. He calls home every night, begging to come home, afraid he's not going to make the grade, and therefore is afraid he's not going to make the team. And Larry Sr. held firm. In fact, one night, he got on the phone with Chipper, and he said, Chipper, I know you're having a hard time. Your mother and I are crying every night along with you. But he said, I want you to listen to my words. Coming home is not an option for you. You have been placed in a different location. You have been raised academically to a different level, and you need to adjust to that different level. And they refused, actually his dad refused to let him come home. And so finally, Chipper decided, I'm not going to get to come home. I've got to change my ways. I'm in a new place. They have new demands, new requirements, and I've got to to, uh, rise up to that level. And he did. He moved his F's to D's, the D's to C's, the C's to B's, to high B's, to low A's. And he ended up finally uh, averaging B, high B, low A during his time at the Bowles School. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul is having a similar conversation with the Colossians that Larry, Jr., Larry Jones Sr. had with his son Chipper. In this passage, you're going to see three uh, happenings that are taking place. First of all, there is an expectation. And then secondly, there is a contradiction. And third, there is a correction. There is an expectation. First of all... There is this expectation. Paul expected the Christians at Colossae to act like Christians. Imagine that. If you are a person who has invited Jesus Christ into your life, you are a Christian. You are raised to a new level. And God expects you and me to act like one of his children. He expects you and me to act like Christians. That is an expectation. Paul had this expectation of all Christians, but in this case, specifically, he had expectations of the Christians at Colossae. He said this in verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the earthly things, for you died. In other words, you died to that old earthly life, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
You see, Christians are a heavenly people. We don't always look like it, and regrettably, we don't often, we don't often act like it, but we are a heavenly people. And Paul repeats this kind of language in so many of his letters. He told the Ephesians that God has, quote, raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. He says, we live on earth, but, quote, our citizenship is in heaven, unquote. That's Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, therefore, we should seek those things which are above, unquote, and store up treasures in heaven, repeating the words, echoing the words of our Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. You see, you and I are expected by the Lord to live in a Christ-like way. Now, Paul expected this. That was his expectation. Uh, but when he observed the Colossian Christians, he noticed a contradiction. There was a contradiction. The Christians at Colossae were not acting like Christians should act. They weren't acting like it. And so he says to them in verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, put to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. He says, put to death anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. These are the old clothes. Take those off and throw them away and burn them in the fire pile because they do not any longer belong to you. You have been moved to a new location, a new place. So Paul expected them to live like Christians, to act Christ-like. But when he observed them, sadly, regrettably, he noticed that they were not acting like Christians. So he had an expectation, but... In reality, he saw a contradiction. People who claimed to know Christ were not acting as if they knew Christ. And so, he offers a correction. Paul insisted on a change in the behavior of the Christians at Colossae. Now, at this point, I want us to ask ourselves... All of us, myself included, asking ourselves this question. Number one, do I know Christ as my Savior and Lord? Am I truly a Christian? That's the most important question to begin with. But if we answer affirmatively that, yes, I know that I've invited Christ to be my Savior, I am a Christian, then the next question is this. Can I truthfully say that I am living my life in agreement to the fact that I'm a Christian? Am I acting like a Christian? Or am I a Christian who is acting like a non-Christian? Am I a believer who acts like an unbeliever? You see, there is the expectation that Christians should act like Christians, but in reality, more often than not, we as Christians do not act as Christians. And so Paul offers a correction. He says this in verse 12, Therefore... As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, since you are God's people, clothe yourselves with what? Put on the clothes of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. And then he says in verse 14, put on love. Let me suggest to you very quickly, and these won't be on the slides. Let me suggest to you five uh, articles of clothing that every Christian ought to wear. Do you want to be a well-dressed Christian? 
Here are five articles of clothing. First of all, put on honesty. Honesty. Don't be a liar. Don't be someone who says something that you don't know to be true. Be a truth teller. Number two, put on kindness. Put on kindness. Before you say anything to anybody about anybody else, stop and ask yourself, is this something that is kind and is this something that I would want said about me? And is it true? Put on honesty. Put on kindness. Third, put on forgiveness. Put on forgiveness. Ladies and gentlemen, the only people that I see in the, in the Gospels, for the most part, that Jesus refused to forgive were the religious fundamentalists of his day. They were the ones he had the most trouble with. I mean, he would meet a prostitute and he would forgive her. He would meet a tax cheat and he would forgive him. He would, he would meet someone who was a drunkard and an alcoholic and he would forgive them. But it is those who were religiously self-righteous that he just could not forgive. Put on honesty, kindness, forgiveness. Put on peace. What is it about Christians, nationwide and locally? What is it about us that we have such a hard time making peace? And then he says, once you have put on the garment of honesty, kindness, forgiveness, and peace... He says, take this big old belt that holds it all together called love and buckle it in tight. You see, everything that a Christian does should be motivated by love, not by anger, not by rage, not by jealousy, not by uh, selfishness, but by love for God and for other people. Those are the garments of a well-dressed Christian. And Paul says... To the Colossian people, he said, I expected you to live like Christians. I observed that you were not living like the Christians that you claim to be. And I implore you to put off those old clothes and put on your new garments, the wardrobe that God has given you. Why on earth would we put on that old T-shirt when God's given us a brand spanking new one? Now that leads me to say three things very quickly. First thing I want to say is that God gives Christians access to everything we need to live the Christian life. When you invited Christ to be your Savior, if you're a Christian, now if you're not a Christian, you don't have what I'm about to say. But if you are a Christian, there's a time when you invited Christ into your life and you're following Christ in an ongoing relationship with Him. At the point that you invited Christ into your life, God gave you access to everything you need. Every bit of power, every bit of energy, every piece of equipment, and every tool that you need to live, to make it possible for you to live the Christian life. You say, well, how do we know that? Listen, there are so many places in the New Testament where we are, we are uh, admonished and encouraged by God and, and the writers of Scripture to live the Christian life. Why on earth would they tell us to live the Christian life if they knew that they didn't give us the tools, that God didn't give us the tools to actually live it? The fact that He tells us to live the Christian life is an indicator that God has given us everything we need to live the Christian life. Now, let me just say right here something very important. I want you to get this. I said that when you were saved, God gave you access to everything you need. That does not at all mean 
that you, you and I are putting it to good use. God does not give you these tools and then force them on you or put them on automatic pilot so you have no choice but to use them. The fact of the matter is, He gives you and me access to everything we need to live the Christian life, but we must actually access it. I have a 2007 General Motors car. That car has access to OnStar, which is the... Uh, Matt could tell us more about it. He used to work for them. That is the, uh, the wireless way that General Motors can keep up with where you are. And if you pay the subscription to OnStar, uh, you can make phone calls through it or you can call them for directions, uh, which, of course, a man is not going to do anyway. But you, you can call them for directions. If you are in an automobile accident, OnStar immediately, the car, if you have a subscription, will immediately send a signal to OnStar indicating where you are, what kind of damage has been done, and they, they uh, in, in just a few moments, will try to call you. My car has access to OnStar. I do not use it. I'll be quite honest with you, I don't want to pay for it. And so I don't use it. I don't want to pay for anything that I think ought to be given to me by virtue of purchasing an automobile. So... I don't use it. I have access to it. It came as standard equipment on that automobile. But I don't use it. Listen, when you become a Christian, God gives you access to a whole lot more than OnStar. But you and I must take advantage of the access. It doesn't cost you anything. It won't, it, you don't have to pay for it. But you have to, act, you have to take advantage of the access that God gives you. Now, let me also say one other thing before I leave this point, and that is this. I said that God has given you access to everything you need to live the Christian life. Listen to this. Listen to this. I did not say that God gave you access to everything to be sinlessly, absolutely sinlessly perfect. Now, you can take that home and chew on it a little bit and agree with it or not agree with it. That's fine with me, but I'm going to tell you God has given you access to everything you need to live the Christian life. He has not given you access to everything you need to be absolutely sinlessly perfect because if he did that, you would have the same attributes, be on the exact same level as God himself, and he's simply not going to do that. You can't, you and I will never be, when we get to heaven, we will not have the attributes of God. Somebody says, I don't know everything now, but when I get to heaven, I'll know everything. No, you will not. You'll know more than you do now, but you will not know everything God knows. You, you and I will not be all-knowing or whatever it is that God is. You and I will not have those same attributes. God has given you access of, to everything you need, not to be sinlessly perfect, but to live the Christian life. Now, what that does, it leaves you and me without a single excuse. We cannot say to God or anybody else, well, God wants us to be perfect and he knows I can't be perfect and so I'm not going to be perfect. No, sir. God has given you everything you need to live the Christian life, not to be perfect. And yes, you can live the Christian life. Second thing I want you to get is this. We must be dead serious about living the life to which Christ has called us. We must be dead serious. I use that word dead intentionally. Because listen to verse 5. How serious is God about you and I putting off our sinful clothing, our sinful actions and attitudes? How serious is He? Listen to what Paul says, verse 5. Put to death 
therefore. I don't know that Paul could use stronger language. He didn't say, put it in a bag and stick it in the cupboard. He didn't say, lift up the rug in the living room and sweep it under that. It can still be there, but at least it'll be under the rug. He says, put it to death. Kill it. Execute it. Exercise capital punishment on it. Burn those clothes. I don't know that he could be more serious. That we put to death... Our old nature, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, selfish greed, all of those things are the old wardrobe. Put them to death, Paul says, verse 5. We must be dead serious about living the life to which Christ has called us. Now, I'm not saying this is going to be easy. Every day. Every Christian who is serious about, dead serious about living the Christian life, every day we are constantly fighting with ourselves, with evil forces. We're constantly fighting our way to live the Christian life. God has given us the power and the tools to do so, but we face enemy, spiritual enemies. But they are not insurmountable enemies. God has given you the power to overcome them. Greater is he who is in you. Than he who is in the world, the scripture says. The third and final thing I want to say in summation is this. To effectively live the Christian life, we must put to death our sinful tendencies and we must use the tools God provides for us. That's really a combination of the first two. If you want to live the Christian life, acknowledge the fact that God has given you access to everything you need to live the Christian life and take advantage of that access. Make use of the tools and the power God has given you. The Scriptures teach us that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the power that God makes accessible to you to live the Christian life. So why wouldn't we access such power? Why wouldn't we access such equipment and tools? But in order to do that, we cannot wear the old clothes. You cannot live the Christian life wearing the old clothes of your sinful nature. You cannot, cannot, cannot do it. In the early 2000s, researchers at the University of California in San Diego came out with a study showing that supposedly people and their dogs look alike. Now, I I can attest to this, but I'm not going to go into it. In the study, a panel of judges was able to match 16 out of 25 purebred dogs with their owners. 16 out of 25, they could match up with their owners because the owners and the dog either looked alike or they acted alike. The, rece- the reason for this, the researcher said, is because dog owners tend to choose a pet that bears their resemblance in some way. The study identified similarities between pets and people, such as physical characteristics, personality traits, or both. And according to the study, happy, outgoing, affectionate dogs tend to be owned by warm and friendly people. Grumpy, snarly, pop-eyed, pug-nosed pooches that attack preachers tend to be, well, you get the idea. Some of you remember Fran Drescher, the, uh, the actress, tall, 
big, ugly smile, big, big black hair. She owns a dog named Chester. And if you saw a picture of Fran Drescher and her dog, that dog has a similar hairdo as Fran does. J. Edgar Hoover, the late leader of the FBI. How many of you have seen a picture of J. Edgar Hoover? I know you just drooled over that. He had, he had a boxer, a boxer bulldog. Now, if you've ever seen a picture of J. Edgar Hoover, just get it right there. And you just put in this side any boxer bulldog that you've ever seen. And I will tell you, some of us are going to have a hard time determining which one is J. Edgar and which one is the bulldog. He owned a bulldog. The Apostle Paul is writing to a new church, Colossae a group of Christians, and he's writing to folks who have begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's writing to Christians, people who are already saved, and he instructs them to take off their old human nature and its practices and put on the new nature with its renewed uh, emphasis in knowledge of living the Christian life. In other words, we're under new ownership and we need to start looking like our owner. So the question is, as God looks at us, at Palmetto Baptist Church, like Paul looked at the church at Colossae, does he have an expectation of what we ought to look like? Oh, yes. That's easy to answer. When he observes us, does he see lives that agree with our ownership or lives in contradiction? And would he, based upon what he sees, offer encouragement and affirmation? Or, as Paul did with the Colossians, would he offer correction? You know, you and I as individuals are the only ones who can answer that for ourselves. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, please forgive us for the multitude of times we came out of our houses wearing the old clothes of our sinful nature. God, remind us again that you have put us at a different place, a higher place, a new level. And you've given us, with that new level, a new wardrobe and help us to live by putting on honesty and kindness, and forgiveness, and peace. And Lord, help us to put that big belt around us, that belt called love that holds everything together. And Lord, help us to start living and looking like our owner. In Jesus' name, amen.